Hi, my name is Stath, and I'm joined here today, as I was last time, with Tom Bedell and Will Evans, ex-press officers at The Hive. Um, we were all at the game last night, uh, Barnet versus AFC Wimbledon, uh, an unfortunate defeat for the Bees, um, and we thought we'd well, start with the season to date. Will, you're the only one who's actually been to any, any competitive games, um, so we're probably going to have to lead with you. Yeah, I think it's been a, I guess, mixed is the way to describe it, really. It's been really up and down it's either been kind of real highs or real lows there doesn't seem to have been too much in the middle you know forest green started with a really quite a poor first half but then you know that was completely turned around at half time rossi made some really good changes and we ended up you know getting a point from that and, and in the end we could have won it it was a really good performance um and the same with the league cup matches you know peterborough united we played really really well one of the best performances i've seen from a barnet side in a long time and even though we lost to brighton it was similarly you know a really high standard but then the league matches in between that stevenage obviously we know was a particularly particular low point we weren't particularly good away at crew either and even luton we got the win with a, yeah, that great last minute goal but we probably only really deserved a draw i suppose so yeah, it's just it's just been a funny season so far where you we've I've been so optimistic at some times and then at other times I've been so sort of depressed by the performances I suppose. If it feels like speaking as someone as the staff alluded to hasn't actually been to a game since uh, since pre-season now. I didn't but allude it's... to it. I outright admitted that we Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, we're really well, I I am really well placed to comment on this, but still do listen. Um <laughs> in that, no, no, in all seriousness, it feels like the kind of season already where another win and it's, oh, great start. Another defeat and it's, oh, terrible start. And it's kind of, it's so much, it's so early still. And yet because of podcasts, because of Sky Sports News, because of the 24-hour kind of culture of football that we have, you, you kind of have to assess it after every single game. And it's why, you know, Frank De Boer, uh, to take it to a, a different level, uh, a Palace is under pressure already after three games when they brought him in to play an entirely different style of football to that that they've played for kind of 10 years now. It, you know, there's constant kind of evaluation and assessment and, and criticism, I suppose. And it's, I think that kind of doesn't help anybody, obviously. But, um, you know, we're kind of contributing to that by even recording this podcast. So on the on the face of it, it's uh, it's a perfectly adequate start. But I think it shows just how flimsy uh, it is to make the case either way that it's good or bad, that it just hinges on one result at a time for the time being. It's too, it's too small a sample size, essentially, to, to really pass judgment on. I think, you know, you have to look at the individual games and probably the performances, which by the sounds of it broadly, apart from crew which wasn't very good and and stevenage wasn't great uh, have been have been pretty encouraging i think you're spot on tom i'd agree with that i think that everything's so kind of reactionary now and the other thing is that a lot of the good performances have come away from home and away from home in midweek games as well and i think what you often find is that you know most fans the average fan i very suppose true just goes to the home games so what you can end up happening is you've got this kind of vocal vocal people on message boards and that kind of thing who are at home on their laptop rather than necessarily the ones who are at the game and it kind of creates a false sense of panic or negativity when a lot of the time you know that won't be held by fans across the board i suppose i'm just gonna and it's that so looking just quick point sorry tom quick just quick point on that though um obviously this season is the first time that fans can watch games from home um yeah. i'm not going to dip into it too much because it's something that obviously will bother me more than it'll bother either of you but um just as a as a, a point i'd like to make i really feel like the efl is shooting clubs in the foot with the iFollow system it's very very simple to circumvent the whole um geographic block 
to watch the video we have a law in this country that's specifically designed to protect attendances at lower league football and uh, i feel like efl themselves are the ones who've gone and created competition to that which just boggles my mind i can't see why they bother to do it um and that, this isn't a philosophical argument for or against watching it um i'm just saying from a business perspective i really unless efl are trying to sort of outdo streamers before it happens to lower league football like you know the premier league now is the big problem they're talking about at sky and bt sports is their competition is coming from stream illegal streaming now unless mm. efl are trying to corner that market before it even grows into a market i can't see why they do such a thing it, they've they're, they're creating really badly priced competition for themselves it's crazy uh tom uh, sorry will you're gonna make a point sorry um <clears throat> Well, I can't remember what it is, but I'll I'll respond to that anyway. <laughs> um, you know, because for me, I, you know, I've lived abroad for, for years, and I, I probably will do it again, so I love the idea of having the ability to watch your team outside of England. But I, I take your point that it's easy to get around the sort of, you know, the system they've designed to make sure people in England can't watch it. But I, I just think that, especially outside of the Premier League, if you're a fan of a sort of football league club, if you really want to go to the game, you're probably going to go anyway. And if you, yeah. and, and you're probably so the people who are watching it or you know finding ways of watching it on the TV, they're probably not going to have been the ones who are getting on the coach and going up to Accrington Stanley. Do you know what I mean? So I'm, I, I'm not sure how big an impact it really has at the end of the day. I think it would have an impact. I mean, I'm a good example of this. I'm moving to the other side of London and uh, I follow at 110, I think it is, pounds becomes a very, very viable option for me um, as opposed to travelling across London every weekend. I can definitely see uh, the case both ways. I think it will probably not have a massive impact because of the point that Will makes that if you're that desperate to watch Barnet, if you're a proper Barnet fan, you'll watch Barnet come hell or high water. However much the tickets are, however bad the team is, however inhospitable the ground is for Roman's sake, not that it is, but you know what I mean. It's uh, it's not a choice. You go, as I say, come hell or high water, and I think that'll always kind of remain the case. Um, but I think it's quite a, quite a good incentive, uh, quite a good initiative, I should say, to have it. And certainly for me to be able to put it on in the background or if I'm busy or uh, watch bits of the game I think uh, yeah without you know uh, hanging myself uh, it's, an, it's an option I would investigate put it that way um, I, I, like I said I see the value in it I, per, I from from a personal perspective I must admit I, I'd actually I like the idea I'm a big fan of it I'm just saying from the EFL's perspective unless they're trying to corner a market that they're they're scared of piracy wise I can't see why they do it to themselves that that was that was the only reason I mentioned mm -hmm. it just, it no, just no, doesn't no. strike me as a good idea um, but I'll, I'll drag this back on track because that's kind of what I'm here for so Will we're talking about the season you know to start and we said that it's a good start and Tom actually I really liked your point about how um, this season as it stands right now in six months time depending on how the rest of the season goes we're going to completely rewrite this start right yeah. so if, if we have a good season we're going to look back on this start and say do you know what we it, the, the season went well probably because we held the first few games really well with Johnny Kindy out for example if the season mm -hmm. goes badly we'll say bad start um some members not us but some members of, of sorry some some members some fans will say something like you know oh rossi wasn't ready for it blah blah, blah which you know is, is the way that people rewrite history um so it's, obviously with that in mind will um and as someone who's been to the games what do you think of our start thus far take two because you've already started to answer it really <laughs> i think that i mean i think you're absolutely right you know people is 
it's been so mixed with you know the one win, the draw, a couple of losses that it could really go either way. I mean, I feel like we've we've got what we deserved in most matches, which is very rare. I tend to you know <laughs> I always tend to side on the idea that Barnet are a bit sort of hard done by. Yeah, hard done by. But in this case, like you look at each individual game. And you kind of start, or you look at it across the few games. You say, well, we certainly deserve to lose against Stevenage. You know, we deserve to lose um, when we went to Crew away. And then, you know, Luton and Forest Green, well, we probably deserve to win one of those and draw one of those. And that's the way it's panned out. So it is the start we deserve, I think. And I think considering the players we're missing, it's probably not a bad one. I mean, John O'Kindy was the source of essentially all of our goals last season. And he's been out, which is, you can't underestimate how big a, big a blow that is. Then you've got players who we've signed who haven't, been fit enough to get involved, like Brindley. Weston hasn't been playing a lot of the games. You've had a young midfield, you know, um, Wesley Fongbrook and Jack Taylor. That's not a lot of football league experience. So when you take all those caveats into consideration, I, I don't think it's been as bad a start as maybe some people are making out. I think, I think Will hit the nail on the head there, and actually it was a point that I intended to make but entirely forgot about, so I'm glad he brought it up. You are missing, genuinely, half a team of first-teamers there. You know, I, I don't even mention Jamie Stevens, but Jamie Stevens is, in, to my for my money, a fantastic goalkeeper. And he would, and there's not says anything wrong with Craig Ross. He comes, you know, quite highly recommended and what have you. And seems to have done well up until now. But you know, Jamie would be your number one. Richard was bought in. Richard Brindley was bought in to be the number one right back. Elliot's out. Michael Nelson's out. Uh, Curtis is out, and John's out. And if you lost two of them, you go, well, that's a you know, that's a pretty rough hand to deal with. The fact that you've got, and it is genuinely the spine, Jamie Nelson. Kurt and John, that's genuinely the spine of the team. That's a really, really crap hand to be dealt with um, <laughs> at any stage of the season, let alone in the beginning when you're trying to build a bit of momentum and kind of, um, you know, set your stall out for the season. So, yeah, massively unhelpful to Rossi and, and, and uh, the rest of the team. That's not to say, though, of course, that, you know, the flip side of that is that the players that are coming in aren't bad players at all. I think, as we alluded to on the last podcast, more said than alluded, you know, there is a lot of depth there now, actually, probably more depth than we've had for quite a while and probably, and certainly, to my mind anyway, more depth than we kind of ever operated with um, under Martin Allen. So it's an opportunity for those guys like Wes, um, uh, um, David Tonda, who's obviously come in at centre-half and, and, and done brilliantly. Wes, by all accounts, has done really, really well. Uh, you know, it's, it's an opportunity for those guys. And if they take it, then fantastic. You know, that's what you want, isn't it, at the end of the day, that the guys that have been out aren't going to just kind of wash back in without having to uh, really push themselves because the team's crying out for them. You know, you want that competition for places and that'll, that'll please Rossi. So, yeah, it's... Um, there's no point getting it's the old never too high never too low and i think after uh, four league games or whatever it's been you know that that's particularly applicable okay so uh, the official verdict if i get one from both of you as it stands you know right now with the information and evidence we have as it stands right now both saying a good start given the player injuries we've had and the fixtures we've had yeah 100 percent for me Will? yeah I, I would agree with that yeah Okay. And maybe not, maybe not a good start, but but an adequate start. Okay, that's that's fair. So we're we're our sort of our pod consensus is that it's been a positive start. It's not a negative. It's not you know fires to be put out, hit left, right, and centre. We're, we're no. doing okay. Yeah, hundred percent. Okay, so um, I'll, I think that's sort of covered the uh, the season to date, partially handicapped by the fact that two thirds of us have been very lazy <laughs> and haven't attended <laughs> games. Um, so I think we should speed ahead to the game that we we were in attendance for, and that was last night uh, against AFC Wimbledon. We lost four three in the end. Uh, Tom, there's some scratching coming from your mic, pal. 
Sorry, that's me scratching myself. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so it was 4-3 last night. Um, I think we'll probably do a quick recap of the goals. So I think they went 1-0 up um, from a bit of a mistake from Craig Ross. Mm-hmm. We equalised with a fantastic free kick from Ruben. Um, they scored again to make it 2-1 from a player cutting inside. Uh, was it? Was it? Is it fair to call it a daisy-cutting curler? Because it was across the floor, or am I being a bit too fair to Craig Ross? Daisy-cutter's probably harsh. I think it had more on it than that, but I would. I still haven't seen it back, actually. I would like to see it back from a better... At more height than we had from our lowly perch in the east stand um, to ascertain whether it was a one where he could have maybe done more or not. Okay. Okay. Um, so that was 3-1. Oh, sorry, 2-1. That was the third goal. We equalised to make it 2 didn't we, just beforehand? That was the... Oh, that was Shaq's first goal for the club. Um, a lovely goal, actually. Second. Second goal, yeah. Second goal? Penalty against Peterborough. Penalties don't count. Come on now. <laughs> oh, all right. He's missed the penalty and he tapped the rebound in. <laughs> um, that's true, actually. You're right. You're right. So, um, so actually, two I've got to interrupt. It's not true. Yeah. They, uh, the penalty just spun in off his hand when you watched the replay. He didn't actually tap in the re- rebound. Did you not? Oh, there you go. I thought I better mention in case anyone, you know. Now, if we're being pedants, we need to do it properly. The, yeah, the layers upon layers of pedantry. This is, this is yeah. exactly the start we need to make. In fact, this is perfect Barnet Football Club podcast material, actually, this level of pedantry. So, um, <laughs> Two all at half time, I believe. Um, just to touch on that second goal, I'm, I've, I have seen the goals back, Tom. And right. Shaq's first touch is actually really, really good. Ruben's yeah, ball is very good, but his first touch was fantastic. It had a little bit of, um, just to butt in there, sorry, it had a little bit of David Silva for Gabriel Jesus against... It did. The weekend, yeah, it did. Of that, yeah. it? A very kind of straight defence splitting pass and a really good like kind of one-on-one finish from Shaq yeah, like you say his touch was really good but he also had to kind of get it out of his feet quite quickly that's why finish. it was so good that's why it that's was it. so good it was a very good finish very good finish um, so we went in half time at 2-all um, I think this is, this could be completely factually inaccurate now um, and then obviously second half we went 4-2 down before mounting a late comeback to make it 4-3 of the two other goals they scored one of them um there was a completely unmarked header. Mm-hmm. Um, I cannot remember the fourth for the life of me. Own goal from goal by. Oh, of course. Right. It was Tutonda's stunning finish. And Freaking then 4 3 with a goal from Andre Blackman, which I'm, I think we just talk about a bit later in and of itself because that was glorious. Mm. So I think the obvious thing we kind of have to come to, um, and although I'm the pessimistic fan, I don't enjoy being pessimistic about players, but I think we have to talk about the goalkeeping for the first two. Uh, Will, I'll let you lead off because you're optimistic and usually very softly spoken about these sorts of things. Well, yeah, I mean, it wasn't one of the better moments of Craig Ross's career, I imagine. You know, the um, the first first goal was you know, a clear error and the second one, he probably should have palmed it behind maybe for a corner or got a firmer hand to it rather than sort of knocking the shot into the path of the you know, the on-rushing Wimbledon player. I think over the course of you know, the couple of games he's played, I don't actually think he's done anything wrong until until this match. And you, you know with backup goalkeepers, you've always got that worry, haven't you, where especially at League 2 level, you kind of think, well, if someone's willing to come and sit on the bench in League 2, are they any good, essentially? Um, and, and everything he's done so far has shown that he does seem perfectly competent. You know, certainly Macclesfield fans seem to think he was a perfectly decent goalkeeper. Um, so I'm going to hope that this is a bit out of character and it's just a bad day at the office for him, I suppose. 
Tom, your think, thoughts? Yeah, I think I think I'd echo exactly what Will said and just add that they're very much smacked of goals of a keeper who hasn't played a lot of football yet this season. And obviously, there hasn't been a lot of football to play yet this season. But someone just sort of getting their eye in a little bit almost. You know what I mean? It wasn't... I didn't see any kind of deep technical flaws with him. It was just the first one, he didn't get his body behind very well. And the second one... Um, yeah, it was a bit of a weak palm, possibly. But it was a hard one in that there wasn't a lot for him to work with with the second one. Almost if there was more in the shot, and although I said it wasn't a daisy cutter, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't an absolute thunder bastard either. If there was more to work with and you got that kind of natural energy that it it would have really gone boing off his hands rather than kind of it was like a bit of a damp lettuce push out. Um, you know, not speaking as a goalkeeper of any repute here, but that was my assessment of it. It was almost one of those where, and again, taking it back to the Premier League, at the weekend we saw somebody, and I can't remember who it was, sort of really threw themselves down hard to their right, and they did so because it gave them the opportunity to get more energy into the palm of their hand to push the ball away, because otherwise the shot was such that they probably would have only just sort of shoveled it out to the striker. So they really threw themselves down hard to get the natural uh, energy that the ball sort of exploded off their palm and went away to safety. So, it was, you know, it was a tough one. And I might be talking absolute rubbish as I'm not a goalkeeper of any repute. I, uh, I played in goal as a kid because I was the tallest and I like to throw myself around. That's, you know, those are my goalkeeping credentials. And by the way, I was absolutely terrible. Um, I will actually, at that point, I'm going to admit something pod-wise. Um, for Andre Blackman's goal, when we talk about it, I won't be able to talk about it much because I wasn't looking when he scored the goal because I was too busy insulting you for being 12 foot two, which has really yeah. annoyed me for, for, since last night. I, I can't believe I missed that goal because I've now seen it back on, on uh, YouTube. I can't believe I missed it because I was too busy insulting you. What a waste of my life. Um, two points actually on Craig Ross that I would like to make. Um, the first one is regarding the second goal, and I made it last night uh, when we were talking. Um, I, I, from from memory, because we actually had quite a good angle on how the ball approached him. Um, from memory, it looked like he kind of overdived it, and instead of palming it away, it hit his forearm. Um, yeah, that's how I remember it. That's how I remember it. Um, I've looked back on YouTube, but unfortunately, it's been recorded on a potato of a camera, so you can't actually see it properly. It's atrocious. It will be. Yeah. <laughs> um, and regarding the first goal, one point I want to make, as someone whose experience pretty much ends at Sunday League, um, I don't like it when goalkeepers wear short sleeves, and the only reason for that is because skin tends to be a bit more slippery than fabric. So for that first goal, it looks. But like they do it. They do it for that reason, though, don't they? They do it because they can dry. You can dry skin. Skin is waterproof. Shirt will stay wet. But also, I've just I'm, watched it now for the first time, and I think the first one might have taken a little bit of a nick on enough. the way through, um, which might, won't have helped, obviously. Obviously, the, from the, for the first one from memory, actually, sorry, going back to the point you made just now, um, I believe that's what the fabric of a goalkeeper's shirt is made to do. Is it not? It's made to I be okay. Know. I, do you know, I could be uh, making this right. up at this point. I could be making it up, but I've always, I've always been aware at Sunday League anyway. The wisdom is to be a bit concerned if your goalkeeper's just got wet arms. Um, it's and... certainly very popular these days to wear the old Under Armour under a um, short, sleeve. short sleeve, isn't it? That is very much the done thing. So, so I just want to point that out. If it, if it has taken a nick, as you've said, um, and then his forearms were wet, that would explain the first goal. Um, and then to recover it from a positive perspective for Craig Ross, and I said this to you both pretty much after he'd made the first two mistakes, he actually looked very good for the rest of the game. It's just unfortunate yeah. that those two, go those two mistakes that led to goals are how his game were going to be defined because after that, he actually showed good command of his area. Um, 
and I, I just remember him having actually having a solid game after that made two very good saves didn't he the free kick uh, towards the end where I was adamant they were going to score which he did well to get up and push over and there was one I think in the first half still um, at his near post which he made himself very big to deal with so no I thought it was just unlucky basically wasn't he that probably those probably those could conceivably be his two seasonal clangers you know in the same way that every goal he makes a couple a year and they've just both happened to come in the first game that a few Barnet fans or quite a few will have seen because it was at home even if it was the um, Checker Trade Trophy so you, you say that but yeah. I believe the the official attendance last night was uh, under 700 I believe that's what I read as so, well yeah so not- apparently it, it was our record for a uh, Checker Trade Trophy match though so, Dave, so David wow. Bloomfield tells me I could be potentially well, David Bloomfield would know I could potentially it was, it being, was- uh, sorry go on Tom Sorry, I keep cutting you off. It was uh, it was about five hundred for that Peterbread dead rubber, wasn't it? Last year, the fun- the finale of the group stage um, um, saga. So that probably makes sense to be fair. Yeah, I was going to say we could potentially be alienating a lot of. I mean, let's be honest, three people listen to this anyway, and we'll be alienating two of those three. But um, there's been a lot of hoo ha <laughs> about the Checker Tree Trophy, but it was a good game. You know, it, but, yeah, it was entertainment for a tenner, wasn't it? Exactly. Because about a boycott, this, that, the other. At the end of the day, I'm not. Um, saying to any fan out there you know to go and support your team because I'm the biggest culprit when it comes to that <laughs> as in not going to games and not supporting my team but um, it was just it was a good game and on the face of it for 90 minutes seven goals um, some horrible bits of play some very good bits of play so you know it was a good game um, I'll kind of move on then to talking about the good bits Will um, I think all three of us as soon as Ruben stood over the free kick said it's, he's going to score yeah, it was a, a, a big bonus having him on the field in terms of set pieces because I think that's one area where we, we haven't been particularly efficient this season. Um, I mean, we saw last season against Portsmouth, I think it might have been, when Mauro Valletti hit that you know great free kick mm. in that maybe he could be an option from dead ball situations. But I don't really think there's anyone who matches Ruben for, for you know having that kind of ability. Um, and yeah, it was a it was a fantastic free kick, and it wasn't just the free kick. His whole performance actually was was absolutely excellent for the first half. I mean, I do think that in the second half of the game he faded away and he was a lot less noticeable. But yeah, in the first half he was really really influential, pulling all the strings. I thought I we two things the um, Ruben set pieces. Yes, very good. We know he can do this because I think it was his debut, wasn't it, where he cracked one against the apex of post and crossbar um, in pretty stunning fashion, but he was still taking corners short, which I didn't understand. He's got a lovely delivery on him. Surely that's when you get it in the straight in the box. So Uh-oh. I thought it was a little bit odd. That it, it, it stopped, but to begin with, they were playing them all short, which I thought might have been a bit counterintuitive. But Again, going all fully Sunday league, I hate short corners. I mean... Yeah, just, I think... I'm, I don't I'm think anyone man. likes them. Yeah, I'm that old man on the sideline just screaming, you can kick it into <laughs> the box! <laughs> yeah. That's it. Exactly. <laughs> I, I my my favourite type of corner isn't the one that goes into the mixer. My favourite type of corner, and it's becoming a bit more common now, which I'm really uh, happy to see, is the one that's floated to the edge of the box for a player to try and volley it home. That's my yeah. favourite type oh, of corner. That was the one. Uh, yeah, Paul Scholes scored against Villa, and I loved it. That's goal. it. And yeah. I think I think Arsenal may have tried it this this weekend and didn't do so well. Or was it the weekend before? Well, but, they wouldn't. Um, yeah. It's becoming a bit more common, which I'm I'm glad to see because that's my absolute favourite. But that's it's good. not about me, so we'll, <laughs> we'll move on. So yeah, Actually, Ruben's delivery was good, but yes, Tom. Ruben, sorry, Ruben, Ruben, Ruben. Um, I keep scratching myself. Apologies. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with just like an itch. Um, <laughs> Ruben um, played in a three. Don't think it's happened particularly often, if at all. The fact that he had that insurance policy of uh, Wes and player whose name escapes me behind him. 
Jack, was, Jack Taylor. Jack Taylor, sorry, Jack Taylor, um, was, I think, absolutely pivotal to that. That he was almost, It was almost 3-4-1-2, and or it probably was 3-4-1-2, and that just freed him up because we know, you know, he is not a big bloke. He's not a physically imposing bloke. He's not very strong. Um, the defensive side of the game is not his strong suit. He needs to be freed up to get on the ball and make things happen, and he was last night, and we probably saw the best of him that we have seen. So... I think that might have been food for thought for Rossi. And if there was one big winner to come out of last night, apart from Shaq it, uh, and Andre Blackman, it was probably Ruben. So, yeah, I thought, no, very encouraging from him. Actually, that's a great question. Um, if you had to pick a man of the match for last night from, from the Barnet side, who would you pick, Will? Uh, Blackman for me. Um, you, Tom? That's a really good question. I don't know if anyone shone enough to go, oh, they were man of the match. I'm going to go Shaq. I like Shaq. Shaq looked good. Okay, and he took his goal I'm actually going to say Mara. I thought Mara was amazing all night but he, well, he you, were gonna make, you were going to make a point more so I'm going to go back to you well I was going to say I think Tom's spot on that Ruben for me really needs to to play in a three but it's not just him I thought that because we're lacking our real heavyweight midfielders I mean you know Curtis Weston and the, the real absence of a strong defensive midfielder at the squad in the squad at the moment which I'm sure we'll get on to later um, when you got sort of three more lightweight centre mids Wesley and Jack Taylor and, and Ruben it, it seems to me that you really want to have those three in the middle so they can kind of balance out each other a little bit when you put any two of those three it's just a two it's sort of I don't know it just leaves us looking really lightweight in the middle I think I agree with that it, it was actually very nicely balanced because Wes is very defensive as a midfielder Ruben is very attacking as a midfielder and Jack is quite balanced so between the three of them there was a nice uh, balance to our midfield uh, Tom do you have anything to say on that? Yeah, I think actually you've made a very good point there that in the absence of uh, a, a dedicated defensive midfielder ball winner type, the fact that they all have very clear roles that kind of complement one another and, and give you that balance is the kind of the best thing you can offer. And actually, Wes is pretty um, pretty adept, I think, at getting in the positions to break up the play and make those um, interceptions. And then when he gets on the ball... He's pretty cool, and he doesn't tend to overcomplicate it. So I thought, I thought it was probably quite a good, um, quite a good afternoon, for it, quite a good evening for him as well. Yeah, I must confess, when we did the first pod at the end, when I I claimed and I still maintain that Jack Taylor's going to have a breakout season, irrespective of what you two say, um, and I was I was ruth ruthlessly denied by both of you who claim that he's already mm -hmm. broken out somehow. Outrageous! Outrageous! Um, I, I went with uh, Tutonda as the player who could have a really big season. I've been proven correct. Love the way I've yeah, yeah. that in there. Pat myself on the back. But I was ah. going to say, actually, one person who, as soon as we stopped recording the pod, um, I had massive regrets because I thought, we've just bemoaned the lack of a defensive midfielder. Um, and it was... I just... I was upset that I didn't mention Wes because this... he I, I thought he could be in the midfield within the next couple of games, which he has now... Um, been pulled into the midfield um, and he could perform well and he has now gone on to do that so I'm a massive idiot for missing the opportunity to say that um, but he has come in and done really well um, Will you've seen a lot more of him in that position than, than Tom or I has he done as well as I'm giving him credit for or I think I think he's done pretty well what I would say is I don't think he's a complete sort of destroyer like a real kind of pick no. 
like that's I mean that's what I'd like to see in the team essentially the same as what Sam Togwell was like um, or you know champion to a to a slightly lesser extent I think that Wesley's a very neat and tidy kind of midfielder and he, he's quite good on the ball he can win the ball back I guess he's kind of a jack of all trades uh, in that sense but he's I don't think he he really fulfills the role that we need, which is someone who could just sit in front of the back, you know, the back three and break up play consistently, consistently rather than sort of pushing forward and getting more involved in the rest of the the rest of the play, I suppose. And for you, Tom? Yeah, he. I think. Yeah, I feel like I'm just saying. I, I agree with what the previous person said tonight. Yeah, <laughs> I think Will basically hit the nail on the head there. He, we he, there are two types of that kind of holding midfielder, aren't there? There's the as I said, the kind of destroyer type. And the one who just sits in and uh, picks balls off and just really holds that position. And I think if you were looking at it through like a football manager lens, you'd go, a Wes is probably more of a deep line playmaker with defend duty set. I.e. He doesn't stray particularly far and he doesn't do anything particularly fancy. And he's just about defensive whereas Sam Togwell you'd go was like an anchor man he plays that little bit deeper and he does not stray at all and he just scurries sort of side to side breaks up the play gets rid of it and yeah I'd like to see that type of player still and I imagine um, that that would be kind of near the top of Rossi's uh, list of priorities as well because I think those kind of players allow Ruben and Jack and you know some of the other guys we got to go and really express themselves okay um as a is it fair to say though as an underlying point with the injuries that we've had a player like him coming into the squad and performing as he has has been a massive boon to the to the team uh tom uh, sorry will again you've seen more of him would that be fair or or is it still a massive issue i i still think it's a big issue but i think it's been a he's done exceptionally well coming into that that position you know because if he if he hadn't performed up to the levels that he had i think we'd have been in real trouble because there's no one else who i mean the only other person who really could do that kind of role is harry taylor who's needed at right back at the moment or right wing back so um yeah it's still something that i think needs to be addressed but he he has done admirably considering you know he's a young player and he's been kind of thrust in there Okay, fair enough. So, I mean, considering the balance that we're saying he's brought to the midfield alongside with Jack and Ruben, um, I think we should sort of move on to the sort of the tactics, if you like, of the first half. And I, I hope we were all in agreement at the uh, at the time. It was difficult to hear you sometimes, Will, <laughs> being sat on the other side of Tom, the man mountain he is. Um, <laughs> for, for the first half, both teams looked really good in possession and both teams looked really bad and disorganised out of possession. Tom, would you say that's a fair assessment? Yeah, I think 100%. And it was a little bit better in the second half. But um, Barnett played some really, really, really nice stuff at times. And particularly that little spell um, prior to the kind of last real chance we had at 4-3 down. I think it fell to Jean-Louis Apro. Um, but it was, a, you know, it was a, it, as I said at the time, if Barcelona had just knocked the ball around like that and then scored, we would never hear the end of it. It would be that kind of Argentina against uh, Montenegro or whoever, Serbia and Montenegro it might have been then. Uh, goal at the World Cup where it's like you know everybody touches the ball and it's a 36 pass move before someone finishes off it was d delightful and we saw that a few times where they move when they moved the ball really quickly they looked really good and uh, I think that's Rossi's stamp on the team I don't you know we never saw that under Martin um, and I think he would have been pleased with aspects of that but obviously you have to naturally you have to kind of marry that up with the um, the press and you know turning possession over and, and, and the transition as well. So it, it's kind of maybe a, a third of the game 
but it looked very it was very encouraging definitely will anything that, to add yeah I, th- I think that that's part of the thing that's been so frustrating about this season to date for people i think is that when we've played well we played really really well i mean i think rossi's completely sort of reinvented the star that we're playing and the football that we're playing at, at our best is some of the best i've seen as a barnet fan you know for years it's just about getting that consistency and this consistency and there's been you know real highs and real lows because they don't seem to be able to do it week in week out tuesday saturday tuesday saturday so far i do think that because it, it seems to be quite an intense pressing game that they they try and play that when the, the when the fixtures move to saturday you know saturday saturday rather than having a midweek game as well that might help Barnet to be more consistent with their with their performances and playing at that high standard. And I think in the first half you could see that when things went right, you know, they were really were going right. It was lovely passing passing football. It's just about, as you say, Tom, marrying that with having some kind of defensive solidity as well, mm. which it seems to be a little bit missing. Well, in the games that you've seen, has the defensive solidity been there with a team that's a bit more... Uh, well, this, I mean, this was a changed side. Did the disorganisation come as a result of that or have we actually looked similarly similar in defensive positions thus far this season? No, I, I think it became because of that. Because, I mean, the game that sticks out for me is that, you know, Luton Town, you're playing It's one of the favourites for promotion this season, but we looked incredibly solid defensively there. So... There's obviously, you know, it's obviously in the players. They they can be that that defensive. I wonder if things like Michael Nelson being out injured, who's very good at marshalling yeah. back line, that might have had an impact. And obviously, in this case, you're essentially replacing him with Darnell Smith, who's a really promising youngster. But he's you know, he's a youngster. He doesn't have the, the the first team experience. And when they're shielded by such a lightweight midfield as well, I think you're you're always going to be in a position where when you rotate for a game like this, you're going to be a bit loose at the back shall we say but is there not a squeeze that there? sounds terrible you yeah, can't does, leave no, that I, in as soon as I said that I was like that's a the back. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear I'm so torn at you Oh, I think cool. I'm going to leave it in. That's pretty much my my editing style is just leave it all in. Leave it in. Yeah. As long as let's just leave it in. <laughs> um, so I was going to say t- to sort of add to that potentially as a counterpoint, but also in addition to your point, in in the type in the style of play that Rossi would appear to be trying to make us play, um, defending very much starts at the top with a good press. And mm. I remember saying to you to both to you both that. Um, I think about 30 minutes into the first half or into the game rather um, that we had I think we actually we may have scored oh no we didn't score we had a good opportunity that went wide and it came from a really bad press funnily enough um, yeah you did yeah. I said I said we, but it was um, the, they had the ball in the middle or something like that and Akinola who was uh, I think supposed to be on the left at the time came central or Shaq came central, sorry. Then it went back to the keeper. He put pressure on the keeper. Then it went out to the right back. So I can only press on the left wing. And I think they they basically escaped our press really easily because we just didn't press the right areas at the right time, which is very important with the press. Otherwise, you're just primary school children chasing a ball. Um, and then out of nowhere, if I remember correctly, it went to their left back, who then passed it to Shaq in the middle of the goal. And that they actually passed it to us in that situation, I think twice in that first half. Um, and Shaq was unable to capitalise either time, unfortunately. But um, it was really weird because normally you associate a slick passing style of play, uh, possession-wise, with a, a very organised, very methodical press when you've not got the ball. And I... Yeah, I just didn't see that yesterday. Uh, did either I of think, you see that or have a counterpoint? So I'll give it to you, Tom. I was just going to say, I think that 
possibly would have been because I think instinctively you kind of probably work on the defensive so you could probably kind of work on pattern play and kind of shadow play um, from a defensive point of view more than you do an offensive point of view and you know we had the game at the weekend and then it's a very very quick turnaround to last night with a I'm not sure how changed but a fairly changed team so it probably doesn't you know that probably didn't lend itself to something that takes a lot of um, kind of cohesive work and an and organisation and, uh, and practice ultimately Will for you? Well, yeah, it's been very different against. I mean, the the, the League Cup games are the ones that really spring to mind. You know, especially the Peterborough game where we we pressed them really well, and you know, never they were never really comfortable in possession because of that. So I, I don't think this was reflective of the whole season in that sense. That's good. That's that's effectively the question I was asking. It's promising to hear that uh, <laughs> that that's not how we've been pressing in the previous games because I wasn't very impressed in the first half, at least. But impressed. Glad to hear that that's not the case. <laughs> um, so I think oh, we kind of covered the first half a bit more than the second half. So my summary, like I said, would be first half, both teams look really good in possession, look quite disorganised without the ball. Um, second half was a bit of a different story. They kind of, it felt a bit dead for about 20 minutes of the, of the second half. They scored the goals, which sort of meant that they could sit back and let us do whatever we wanted. And we looked a bit, I don't, we didn't really capitalise for the first 20-25 minutes of the second half and then for the latter half of the second half we looked really 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 good um, Tom was that how you saw the game or have I got my timings wrong no, I think that's fair we were we started the second half pretty well I think but it was a bit no it's still a bit of a continuation of the first half I think in a way and in the, it was a little bit kind of chaotic and it was two teams not necessarily winning the ball back high up the field off one another it was you know they gave it away in the final third the move broke down and it was a bit yeah it's just a little bit scrappy at times I suppose um, and then the two goals came fairly quickly didn't they their third and fourth and that really I think took it away from us and made the game a little bit of a non-event from there until we had a real good go at it for the last kind of 15 minutes or so um, and could have probably, rightly or wrongly, nicked something in the end because obviously Andre scores a, a, a tremendous goal and then we had a great chance just off that, which I think, as I say, was John Louis, I'm not sure. Um, and, you know, all of a sudden we could have been talking about a penalty shootout and two points, is it, for winning on penalties? So, yeah, it was a... It was a funny game. There were quite sort of clearly defined segments of it where it was it sort of changed from you know one to the next. So yeah, it was an interesting game. Uh, and for you, for you, Will? Yeah, I didn't really. To be honest with you, I didn't really enjoy the second half all that much. I, I really enjoyed the first half, even though it was quite chaotic. I thought it was very entertaining from both sides. Um, the first sort of half an hour, thirty-five minutes, I just uh, I thought it was a kind of a bit scrappy and it wasn't really up to much of the second half. I mean, um, and it really just took. Blackman's you know, wonder strike to, to kick things off again and suddenly it sort of spurred Barnett into life for the final 10 minutes or so which was, yeah, that was great to watch it reminded me a little bit of um, against Stevenage at the weekend yeah, we weren't very good for most of the game but there was that point just after Stevenage's red card on about roughly the half hour mark where Barnett then played really, really well for the next 15 minutes and could easily have scored. Um, and that was the only 15 minutes in the game when they did play did play well. You know, the rest of it was, wasn't was up to much. But, you know, the same in, in this case with this part of the second half, that it was all a bit sort of nothing, non-entity. And then suddenly this fantastic finale where, as you say, Tom, we could easily have got an equaliser. Mm. Yeah, interesting you say that. 
Um, there is one thing actually. I thought we've been very praiseful. Is that even a word? Praiseful for Wes uh, and his performance. Full of praise. That's there. You go. Thank God I've got two uh, two journalists to correct my English. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, we've been we've been full of praise for Wes and his performance in the first half. It's a point that I made in the second half, and I, I think I only said it to you, Tom. But I was very surprised that when Wes went off, it felt like distribution from the back became Charlie Clough's job, and he actually yeah. did really well. He, he it was really weird, but he set he he really did become a deep lying playmaker. I think he had two or three dribbles which actually brought the ball into the opposition half. But generally, when the ball went back and it was played to him he distributed it forward very effectively I was really impressed and it, it, um, I've not seen a lot of Charlie Clough because he only arrived in January I've not been to many games since uh, since January but um, he never struck me as that sort of player and fair enough he kind of got hobbled out on the right wing on the right sorry uh, right back position to be mm. tormented by pacey small left wingers which is not what he as a centre back is used to but um, I never had I never had him down as a sort of ball playing centre back to be honest with you whether that's just based on aesthetic or not and, um, more I was gonna, doing so but I was, was going to say is that as much because he's kind of you know shaven headed very kind of stern facial expression he just looks like he's a Hit it first and ask questions later. Yeah, it probably is. That's, that's probably what's happened to me. But um, yeah, based upon that very wrong uh, view, yesterday I saw him playing football and was very impressed. I really was. Um, did anyone catch your eye in that spell where we looked really good, Will? Um, I, mean, I do think you're right. Clough did did impress when he started to sort of pass the ball out from the back in that period. I think I actually think he's a decent ball player in general. And I think it's one of the real... The, the January recruitment drive last season was probably mixed shall we say in terms of how successful it was but I think the one thing that we did really well in was kind of rebuilding the defense to be more of a ball playing you know defense in terms of Tatonda coming in Santos Clough you know they're all quite comfortable with the ball at their feet and it seems like in terms of the evolution that we're going through towards playing a more passing style with Rossi um, that's yeah, that's really significant to have players who can pass the ball out from the back. Um, but in terms of the last, yeah, that last part of the game, I mean, everyone was just throwing everything at it, weren't they? Trying to sort of find a way of getting the ball in the net. I thought Blackman was good again in the latter stages as he was throughout the game, to be honest with you. He seemed to, I thought his crossing was good. You know, in fact, I thought his all-round play was good. I was quite surprised. I wasn't necessarily expecting too much from him. Okay. Uh, for you, Tom, did anyone catch your eye at the end there in, the, in that really good spell? Yeah, I think you already hit upon it, to be honest. But Charlie Clough was just really good, wasn't he? He just sort of took it by the scruff of the neck and, um, yeah, sort of stepped into midfield and was was making uh, doing doing a lot of doing a lot of the kind of um, start starting off of moves. Um, he was good, and yeah, and, and Andre Blackman as well. To be fair, he um, I just watched his goal again earlier, and it's a really good goal. It wasn't. He didn't just get it in space and think, oh, well, no one's closed me now. I'll have a whack. He sort of glided past a couple of people as well. So I think he, he looks good. And I think he looks like he'd probably be quite a nice fit for the uh, for, for the, for the wingbacks uh, that we've been kind of using this season. So obviously a, a signing kind of made out of necessity with, with the, the, the sad news about Elliot Johnson's injury. But one that could, you know, could turn into a little bit of a kind of rough diamond potentially, and you know, certainly the clubs he's been at suggests that there's no little ability there. It's just kind of harnessing it and getting getting regular minutes into him, which you know, with um, Tatonda reinventing himself as a 
left-sided centre-half in the three and, and Elliot being out for... I don't think anyone's actually said the season, have they? But they've said a long time, so we can reasonably assume, um, uh, sadly, a long chunk of the season. You know, he's, he's got a real opportunity now to um, to, to nail down that, that left wing-back um, um, spot, which, you know, on the basis of last night, I think he could, he could very well do. Um, I'm not going to miss an opportunity to heap praise upon Rossi. <clears throat> so yeah. switching to three at the back and this system three four one two three five two um or whatever we're going to play around but three three at the back um has there been a management tactical change at barnet in you know 10 15 years that's had such a massive positive positive impact on our play will it it's hard to think of one very specific you know for specific moment because really the moment is half time against forest green rovers isn't it when yeah, we'd set out with four at the back and then something drastic needed to be done to improve the performance. We went to the three and it, it essentially we played so well that then we had to roll it out again midweek against Peterborough. And again, it worked really well and it's kind of set the tone for that being the default default tactic. I'm not sure whether it was ever the intention for that to be the plan A, um, but it just seems to have worked out that way. I mean, the last time Barnett sort of regularly played a three at the back, I'm sure some fans might remember another example, but I think it was when John Still was in charge. We're talking sort of 97 to about 2000. Um, and it was really successful then. Um, yeah, we got to the playoffs twice playing playing three at the back. So I like it as a system and I'm hoping we have similar success this season with it. <laughs> um, Tom, I presume like me, you don't have much experience going back through the years with BFC management. But if well, you I do have a time, let me know. I've got a great example, actually. Um, a little-remembered game away to Wolverhampton Wanderers in the uh, League Cup uh, after winning promotion back to the Football League on Martin Allen, where it very much smacked of what players can I put on the field that if they get hurt or sent off, it won't matter for the weekend. And we saw Sam Muggleton play central midfield and Sean Batt lead the line virtually on his own. A glorious time for the football club. It was not... Um, no, and also, that did happen, but in all seriousness, uh, very impressive. And very impressive that Rossi, having come in and, you know, presumably had his ideas about what was good and what was bad last season and how, you know, formulated in his mind, this is how we're going to play, this is how we're going to play without the ball, this is how we're going to build up the play, this is how we're going to set up, this is how we can change it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. First day of the season goes, right, well, that hasn't worked, changes it at half-time, shows that he's not so wedded to one philosophy uh, or one setup that he's inflexible, changes it, gets it right, absolutely nails it, and then goes and then doesn't isn't kind of kind of myopic enough to go, well, I mean it got us out of jail uh in that instance, but we should go back to what I've planned for and trained for all this time. For the next game he goes, No, that worked. We will give that a fair crack of the whip now. And yeah, I think he deserves an awful lot of credit for that. I mean, again, I think we're all very happy to very hastily provide praise for, for Rossi. It's always deserved. So I think there's, I think that pretty much has covered the game, really. Um, one thing which I know we all want to talk about or just touch on and probably move away from very quickly, very hastily, what on earth was going on in the crowd? Yeah, it seems churlish to criticise anyone that comes to Barnet and pays their money and supports the team and backs the team and very vociferously gets behind the team. But lads please channel that energy into actual songs rather than like Boy Scout um, uh, chants around the fire because there were some odd, odd songs and, uh, you know, the energy's there and the passion's there, but let's please channel it into something that people can get behind and, and get behind the team. It was very, very weird and 
they were at the Swansea game, weren't they? And we were a bit baffled as to what was going on. We kind of thought they were a hired in kind of renter crowd kind of thing to generate a bit of atmosphere. Um, but clearly they just love it, which is great. But um, yeah, maybe, you know, don't start the chance, just join in with the ones that other people start. It was, it was odd. It was odd. That's kind of why I wanted to bring it up, just to make it absolutely clear that although the last game you and I went to, uh, Tom, was uh, the Swansea game, we're, mm. it's just a coincidence. <laughs> we're, yeah, we're that's two it. completely different groups. Will's just sat there, he's got no problems at all. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I mean, it, it, must have, it was it was a little bit annoying. Like I'm not gonna, you know, I mean, I, I like, yeah, you know, I love to see people, as you say, having a good time and trying to get involved. But when you know, when people are chanting about stuff that doesn't really kind of fit the context of the match, or it's just a bit sort of a bit random, it can it can degenerate into just being background noise and kind of irritating background noise rather than really contributing to the atmosphere of the game. And I think that's probably what this was. So, like, you know, as you say, Tom, you know. <laughs> come along and get involved but maybe channel it a bit better rather than sort of the more inane chants that were coming mm. out <laughs> right let's draw a line on that and, that and and then move on to individual performances we've been here from the start of the season uh, to now in terms of who we signed and all this sort of stuff um Shaq looked very good last night didn't he tom yeah he did um there was a bit of kind of Shaq bashing on the forum prior to last night's game I hadn't seen it before so I really tried to go into it with an open mind and I have to say I was impressed and it wasn't it wasn't just the goal he was a very willing kind of line leader obviously he's not going to be John but he I thought he made some good runs and got into good positions and on another day he would have probably had another goal at least he, he got you know he made a couple of chances for himself or for others and I think what also probably didn't help is that he was playing in a two for the first time this season. He's kind of been the, the main man in a three uh, in, in Akindi's absence. But yesterday he was playing with Simeon Akinola, obviously. So it's slightly, you know, slightly different role, slightly different responsibilities. But I thought he did well. And the goal showed a real kind of, gave a real kind of glimpse into what he can do that he uh, he shifted the ball onto his right really nicely um with his left foot and the, and the finish was really well taken as well so I was quite I was quite impressed with him and I think he hasn't played he's one that's got kind of something to prove he hasn't played a vast amount of football he or he has played lots of minutes maybe but not all of not a lot of them as starts so you know coming in and being the number nine so to speak uh from the outset it's a different challenge and uh one that you can't just I suppose kind of pick up uh, immediately and hit the ground running on so you know there's going to be a period of bedding in and um, yeah I was yeah pretty pretty encouraged I I would agree with that actually there is one criticism of him that I saw which I actually completely agree with and that is, say he falls yeah, over a lot he needs to change his studs it's ridiculous I mean it's Sunday league if someone falls over a lot it drives you nuts a professional footballer who I've seen on the message board keeps being criticised for wearing the wrong studs and then I saw him in the flesh and my, my first reaction although biased would have always been the same anyway which is just this man needs to change his studs just someone someone ring up the club um, on any day of the week because they're open seven days anyway and just tell them to get a message to Shaq Shaq wear longer studs please or just change change studs whatever you're doing just, just studs aren't right change them um, Will on a positive note what did you think of his performance? 
I think it it might have been his best performance of the season. Although saying that, I, I actually thought he was pretty decent in the uh, away game against Peterborough, uh, which I suppose, in terms of the reaction to him, it's been really negative. I think from a lot of fans, and it kind of ties into what I was saying earlier. You know, there was a hundred and something people at the Peterborough game, so it's so if you haven't seen because we've only had so few matches to date you know it's a bit dangerous to judge players just on the games that you have seen because you know they may have done better in others it's just not a big enough sample to really judge a player on and I think that you know I've seen people likening him to to Sean Bass and that's just not accurate I mean Sean Bass was a a lovely guy but he, he he struggled to kick a ball straight at times didn't he whereas um you know, Shaq is a. He still seems like a competent footballer. He just hasn't had the the best of starts. And I, I think that the, the big caveat to his not so impressive performances is that I think he was signed to be a, a foil to John Akindi rather than mm. you know someone who, as you said, Tommy plays up front with uh, you know someone like Akinola, where it's like a really kind of a relatively lightweight front pairing. So really, I'd wait and judge him on when he's played 10, 15 games alongside John Akindi and then see what you think of him as a player. Definitely. I think that's fair. Just actually one quick uh, Sean Bat moment, which is ingrained in my memory forever. Um, I managed to sneak away during the second half of one of the games and he was through one-on-one with a goalkeeper and when, and he managed to slip and, you know, the crowd at, at Barnet... Lone Orient, wasn't it? Could well have been. Uh, and, I mean, the crowd at Barnet can be negative at times it can be positive at times but it's quite rare that it's all positive at one time or all negative at one time except for obviously a a very um match defining moment you know like a goal or a red card Mm. but very notably um when he slipped it just 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 before he slipped it felt like everyone in the stadium wanted him to score and when he slipped there wasn't even anger it was just everyone just saying oh he's just such a disappointment and it was both really harsh but also quite lovely that <laughs> no one just screamed their head off. <laughs> well, people wanted him to do well because he was a I know this is a bit of a tangent but he, he was a real trier wasn't he and when he was on the pitch he he did try hard he just didn't seem to have the have the ability certainly anymore because he did have a reasonable career before he came to Barnet. Um, so I, I think Barnet fans like that, you know, someone who at least makes the effort even if they lack the ability. And Sean Bat update. Loves that, don't they? 104 minutes this season, three appearances off the bench, no goals for Chelmsford City in National League North or South, I suppose. I'm looking at Sockway and I think it always says National League North. <laughs> I when they're in that level I think they're south yeah. but they would be south um, interestingly though update on his stats 58 career league starts in the football league and now at Chelmsford um, subbed off in 45 of them which means he's only completed 90 minutes 13 times since 2008-2009 top maths uh, you've got the GCSE results theme aren't you that's it and therein lies the problem I think with Sean Bat, bless him uh, who by the way to just second what Will said is a really nice person so like really nice so it's, it's a terrible shame for him indeed um, so moving back to this game players who are still here I chose Mauro as my man of the match um, which I'm sure will have at least one of our three viewers <laughs> saying what is this idiot going on about how was Mauro man of the match uh, the reason for me is twofold, is that first of all, when he was on the ball, I don't think he was very wasteful. His performance was, was quite good. His uh, his final ball was actually quite good, and that's something that he's criticised for often. And mm. the second thing was off the ball, um, he was 
pretty much always in space, which seems mm. like a very um, you know pointless thing to praise someone about. Well done, you found space. You know, you've, you've now beaten the average eleven-year-old footballer in terms of what you're expecting someone to do. But um, it really stretched their defence because on the left we weren't really using the width as much, so their right back could tuck in when he had to and defend his box but um, given the formation we were playing it was very difficult for them to to really defend against any width that we we truly offered and Maro really kept that width out and on the first half multiple times we had very good moves where Shaq shuffled over to the right uh, Maro was on the right and one of the midfielders got involved as well made good triangles and, and retained possession and started to make good progress down the side and in the second half when, when things got a bit um, I don't know if scrappy is the right word, but when the game got a bit more stretched, um, knowing that we had a big switch onto the to the right flank to Mauro, who wasn't wasting the ball, like I say, actually became a bit of a weapon for us. So that's why he was my man of the match. Um, I'm, uh, I'm I'm just assuming that someone thinks I'm an idiot, and I'm trying to explain why I'm not an idiot to them. Um, I, I, I don't think you are at all. I, th I think he's a really strong candidate for man of the match. I think he. he he did everything right. You know, he created a lot of the chances. So his delivery into the box is a lot better than it is, it is a lot of the time. Um, and he's always dangerous, isn't he? I mean, every game, I think Mara is one of the, the sort of seven out of ten upwards players in terms of, you know, he's, he's always he always offers something and he's always very dynamic. It's just that a lot of the time his end product can let him down. Well, that wasn't the case at all yesterday, I don't think. Tom, you've got a chance to call me an idiot while we're recording. Do you want to go for it? No, I think you're right. I wouldn't... I, That's dangerous. I don't, don't say I'm right. That's dangerous. <laughs> I don't know if I saw enough to go, oh, he was man of the match. But yeah, I think you're absolutely right in terms of um, the, the way he made space for himself. And he was always, always, always pulling off his um, pulling off his fallback and making space, which, you know, is the... Is, the kind of key essentially isn't it to to breaking teams down and uh, and creating chances is to, is to make that space and that's a skill in itself he was just let down perhaps by the ball not getting out to him quick enough there was one instance I can't remember who it was who was carrying it and they didn't see him but they popped it into Ruben on the edge of the box and you, you know you could tell his quality uh, in a lot of things he does but you know he was just aware and straight away just first time didn't touch didn't control just swept it out to Mauro to run at the fullback um so yeah, I thought I thought he was good, and I think he's one of those players that because, as Will said, he's kind of seven out of ten every week. He's almost like too steady, and he doesn't therefore get the appreciation he perhaps um, he perhaps deserves. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I'm, I think I'm, oh, I've definitely mentioned this to you, and I can't remember if I mentioned it in the first pod, but I bore everyone I speak to. Anytime Mauro comes up in conversation with any fellow Barnet fan, I feel like I bore everyone with the same thing. But it's almost like the, um, you know, the the rain cycle for water. It's like that with Mauro, isn't it? He, the new manager comes in, doesn't show him the respect he deserves, works his way into the squad, is a fantastic squad player until manager leaves or something happens, and then Mauro just has to start again. I, I don't understand why, but you know how we talk about some players who have been consistently proven to have a problem under multiple managers so at Manchester United Luke Shaw's fitness has been um, criticised by multiple successive managers including um I'll say Alan Hodgson <laughs> Hodgson, <laughs> Hodgson in England um, so there must be a problem there for multiple managers to say Luke Shaw good player but fitness problems and it's it's almost like we've got the opposite with Mauro where multiple managers for whatever reason because he's been here for you know he predates Martin Allen in the sense um, multiple managers have come in and for whatever reason not rated him immediately put him in the squad to do some sort of job I remember he, he sort of burst on the scene at left back I think um, when we first mm. discovered it about his, his leap um, and then he's he's kind of worked his way into the squad and become a very good player for all these managers so 
at some point, surely we just have to understand that we have a really good player in our squad. Uh, Will, I'm going to just let you pick up the reins on that. Well, I think often managers are very quick to to dispose of players, aren't they? Just, just in general, if they don't like the look of them from at first sight, they you know they sell them or whatever. Um, whereas because Marrow's so versatile. Yeah, when you're at Barnet and you've got small squads, there always comes a point when you're lacking someone in one position. It just seems that he can fill in in all of those positions. So it gives him so many chances to impress because he can always, you know, come in and whatever, you know, left back, right back, whatever, and show the manager how good he is. And he always seems to take those chances. I think it's, uh, yeah, you, you, you hear about players who are utility men and they're kind of a victim of their own versatility where they never get to nail down a place. But I think with Mauro, it's completely the opposite where he's really successful because of that. Okay. Uh, Tom, did you have anything to add? Just that I think he's a yeah victim of his own versatility, essentially, that he has, can and has played pretty much everywhere except in goal and centre-half now. And... It's, he's almost like he's an easy one to drop because you go, oh, well, he's not really a specialist, this or that. And then when he's on the bench, it's like, well, he's a good player to have on the bench because he can fill every position. So, yeah, I think it's an easy thing to say and a bit of a cliche, but it is kind of true as well that if he was a specialist in one role, it would probably be better for his chances of playing week in, week out. But there it is. He's a very useful player to have and he certainly never lets you down. Could it be argued that uh, right wing back actually could be a really good position for him? Yeah, I think it, it, it definitely could. I think I think that I'm not sure if we mentioned it in the last podcast, but this this squad as it's built is really well suited to the wing back system because you've got players like Tatonda and Valetti who, you know, are, are such attacking attacking wide players who also have a you know defensive ability as well. You know, not every Brindley appears to be in that in that mould as well. Blackman's come in in the same way. You know, it, it seems like we've got we've got players to play that system well and Mauro is the perfect example because he, he's so good going forwards but unlike say an equivalent player like Luke Gambin who's very similar in an attacking sense or was when he was at Barnet um, you know Mauro matches that with a defensive ability as well which not many wingers have I suppose mm. Underrated uh, Tom anything to add? No nothing just would second what Will said there actually Fair enough. Um, so, in which case, I think we've kind of touched on the game. I think there's only really the future to talk about, and that's the near future is until the end of the transfer window, um, which isn't quite the same for us. I mean, the rules change all the time, and I've, I've kind of stopped keeping up with the rules, but I believe it's still transfer window is for transferring players, but there's still a free agent deadline as well, which is to come a month, a month or so after. So... What do you think is going to happen in the next two days and potentially the near future thereafter, Tom? Well, I'm given to understand that we're going to be busy. Um, that can obviously mean outgoings as well as incomings. And we've kind of alluded to before the fact that there's a lot of players there now. And there are a few, I think it's quite clear to all to see now that aren't going to be involved um, or aren't in Rossi's thinking at the moment and probably won't be going forward. The, the guys I'm talking about are... Those who were left out the the, the squad last night um, for what is essentially kind of the fourth most important competition of the season, um, and you know that's assuming they weren't injured, of course. But Ryan Watson, um, Dan Sweeney, and Alex Nichols, um, you have to assume that there's not a part, there's not a place for them going forward. So I think as much as anything, it'd be helpful to get them 
out and playing football um, because it's probably quite a hard case. It's probably quite hard, I imagine, to take the case to the chairman for the funds to sign someone when you've got players sitting in the stand um, every week. Which obviously I hasten to add isn't Rossi's fault. He's uh, you know he's been he's been handed this squad and this is his first proper transfer window, albeit he had some of January with Henry um, um, next to him. So yeah. I think it'll be busy. I think we will try and get some players out. And I think we will look seriously at um, a holding midfielder and potentially, potentially um, another defender, I think. Now, if we're going to play three centre-halves, you kind of say you've got Titonda, Nelson, Clough, Santos. Um, at centre-half, maybe another one would be helpful with an eye on the future, maybe given Nelson, superhuman, wonderful man though he is, won't be around forevermore. Okay. Um, <clears throat> for you, Will, I think. I mean, I hope that we are busy because I think that that we need some additions. I, I think Tom's hit the nail on the head that there's there's those three really Sweeney, Watson, Nichols, and I think those three, big, whichever ones you can find a buyer for in the final you know stage of the transfer window, that will probably dictate how many we can bring in. I mean, I think I'm, I mean, if you ask any manager, they always want a few, you know, a handful of players. I'm sure Rossi's no different. I think a defensive midfielder is pretty crucial. An attacking player who can really put the ball in the net would be a big bonus as well. Um, if we're talking dream scenario, yeah, I wouldn't mind having a, uh, another central midfield cover and a centre-back cover as well. But I don't think we'll go that far. I could maybe see two coming in uh Maybe a striker and a defensive midfielder. That would be my my sort of gut feeling about it. Um, do you think we need a striker? I, I think or do you that, think a striker's vile? Do you think if you might say we need a striker, do you think Rossi thinks we need a striker? The only reason I ask is that if it, obviously you've got John's come back, Shaq, Jean-Louis, uh, Justin, and I'm forgetting someone, Sim, Simi Nakanola. So you've got five. I'm, what I'm wondering is whether we don't, is whether Rossi will think that we don't have a real physical option up front as well as Jeremy Kinney. Yeah, that's true. So, sort of like the Michael Gash type. type yeah. Um, and, it, and even the way that uh, Akpa Akpro's kind of been used this season, he's, he's been better when he's sort of played in more of a wide position rather than mm. a central striker. So I don't know. I just wonder if like it's become evident over the course of the season so far that we're not taking our chances and we're not putting the ball away. And so he... I could see someone, maybe they won't be a striker, maybe it'll be someone who can play in the centre of midfield who is really good at you know, finding the net as well, like a goal-scoring midfielder. But I could see one of those two positions coming in. I think the really critical one, though, is the defensive midfield role. Um, potentially uh, the sort of question that's going to make you both hate me, <laughs> but I've got to ask <laughs> you. Are we in danger of... of... Johnny Kinney's not played this season. We're, t- we're led to believe it's an injury and people are saying that it's a legitimate injury and I don't doubt that for a second, just to <laughs> get that out there. <laughs> but uh, obviously we've not seen him this season. We've seen how we have potentially struggled without him. If Chelsea came in tomorrow and said we want Johnny Kinney to lead the line because this Morata fella isn't working out, we'll give you a billion pounds. He's going to go, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously that's a massive hypothetical. But if we take it a bit more realistic, a league, a championship, League One, maybe even a League Two club, is that a concern? Are the fans who have that concern valid in their concern, or is it a shut-in that he won't be leaving? I'll go to you, Tom. Certainly not a shut-in because in this kind of crazy transfer market, um, 
you know, you see some of the fit, the money that people are paying. You know, you can never have envisaged today when people are paying thirty-five million for Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain or twenty-something for Johnny Evans. Um, so by that token, and and the, the the relevance of that is that there's the drip-down effect. That it, that trickles down now to Championship clubs and League One clubs. And you know, there are clubs in League One that can easily pay a million pounds for John McKinley. And I'd be stunned if that doesn't get you know the interest of um, the chairman. Because that's you know that for Barnet is a significant sum of money, isn't it? And you know you can do a lot with you can do a lot of damage with that in the in the transfer window. Probably not this window, given how little time is left. But you know if he he, he be, I'm sure he'd be able to go to Rossi. Look, there's a good sum to reinvest with. You know that's that's interesting money, certainly. Um, so in in a so, word, Tom, would, if I said concerned, yes or no? No, because here's the flip side. Despite that, I don't believe, and this is based purely on perceptions and yeah you know being an outsider looking in i don't think john akindy's desperate to leave in any sense he signed a three-year deal a couple of summers ago now no last last, last year he's got two last years summer I'm, yeah i'm losing time so you know we're not under any pressure to sell and he wouldn't have done if he wants you know as we've seen with i keep thinking back to the premier league but it's very good kind of filter to use most people are yeah. okay with that it's just Will who, who skin crawls every time the Premier League gets mentioned but, you see like Arsenal with their situation with Oxford Chamberlain Sanchez Ozil all out of contract now next uh, next summer you know then they're all refusing contracts and it'd be the same at this level if he didn't think that his future lay here he wouldn't have signed that deal uh, he would have gone okay fine I can live on the money I'm on at the moment without getting a pay rise and know that in 12 months time or less I will move so and I think he quite likes I think there's something about Barnet that works for John that he's had a couple of excellent spells elsewhere but he's not had a spell like he's had here he, you know he's basically as long as he stays fit he's guaranteed to have 20 plus they get and I think he quite probably quite likes being the main man in a way. Do you know what I mean? That everybody loves John. He's absolutely imperative to any success we're going to have. And he will probably be well rewarded for it. I think we could all make a reasonable assumption that he's one of the better paid players at the club. So, you know, it, it's quite a good deal for him. And he's and he and as well on top of that, he's kind of one of the the senior head's one of the leaders in this dressing room now that he's you know he helped us up from the conference helped he played a bloody massive role in getting us up from the conference and you know he's probably one of the he's probably one of the dressing room leaders now with Nelson Curtis and and so on so I think you know you wouldn't get a lot of those factors if you went to another club you've got to go and prove yourself all over again and he moved around a lot in his early career and I think he is probably smart enough to say well it works here do I want to jeopardize that elsewhere unless it's a really interesting proposition unless a championship club goes and makes an offer that's my kind of um pop psychology trying to get in john akindy's head from afar <laughs> and trying to second guess what someone i don't know very well is thinking um might make sense might be proven wrong overnight who knows great answer tom i think uh, if this pod doesn't work out for you a career in journalism could await yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Will, I'm going to ask you the exact same question uh, in a word: concerned, yes or no? Yes. <laughs> oh, I'm, controversial. I'm, Let's go. No, no, I'm really concerned. Well, I, I tell you, I'm concerned because I think that the future of this season it rests so much on whether John Kinney stays or not. That the thought of him not being in the team almost has me waking up at night in a cold sweat, you know, like, and I can visit, I, I, I can realistically see that he could be, he could be sold, you know, I think for every reason 
that he could be. There's a reason that he couldn't. I mean, you, you, as Tom was talking about, how I think he's quite happy at the club, and I, I think he definitely is. But at the same time, you know, he's what 28 years old, and if an offer came in from a, a team in the in the Championship, you know, their wages are a lot bigger than than Barnett's, even though he's he's probably a well-paid player at Barnett. And of course, he'd want to take that move. But then you can flip it the other way and say, well. You know, he's 28 years old, we've got him on a good contract and bigger clubs generally, if they're going to pay out big money to lower league teams, generally invest in players who are much younger and they can make a profit on or mm. have more service from. Like Omar Bogle was the perfect example. He had a very similar goal-scoring record to Akindi, um, you know, in League Two, but because he was in his early 20s, straight away there's a team, you know, at championship level who wants to snap him up and pay pay good money for him so i'm really conflicted as to whether whether he'll go or not and how likely he is to go or not but i'm i'm certainly worried if he does go because i don't think there's time to i don't think there's time to reinvest the money in this window which would almost mean that this season could be a write-off i've got a terrible feeling it could end up like when we got rid of sean louis apro to yeovil at christmas last season and then didn't really have the time to get in a new striker and then that was that was our downfall for the rest of that season was that we only had John Akindi up front so I'm just hoping that the same thing doesn't pan out at the end of this window that's a very uh, I mean I'm, I'm surprised Will you're normally the very optimistic one but that's a very well laid out pessimistic argument that's kind of echoes my thinking actually it's just there's there's nothing to stop um, a big you cannot stop the other clubs paying a large amount of money or bidding a large amount of money for John Akindi's services and if the amount of money is too high you've got to say yes and then if you say yes there's probably not enough time to to replace him but you, you know if it's a very very large amount of money you can't say no um to move on from that then I'll, I'll kind of give you space to wrap up if you want tom is there anything else on on recruitment any players that you wanted to say not specifically on players but on recruitment I, i'm going to recycle a point which i thought was a really good point and needed to be brought to a wider audience and whether this will actually take it to a wider audience or not who knows but um and i can't remember where i read it and or who said it but you know it's a really good point it really deserves to be um, uh, reiterated everybody knows that Spurs need uh, a proper backup striker of Harry Kane someone who's going to come in and seamlessly pick up that baton if he is unavailable for any reason everybody knows that Arsenal have needed a proper enforcer in centre midfield for a long time and so on and so forth you know you can pick a hole probably in most top flight squads and you know and in most pretty much every sport can pick a glaring hole in their squad you're a lucky fan or club if you can genuinely honestly wholeheartedly say oh there isn't a glaring hole that i would fix if i could they haven't fixed them because it's bloody difficult and it's not a lack of trying and i imagine that it would be the same for us that we can all say we would like a holding midfielder we would like a destroying midfielder but the thing is everybody knows we want that you know the other clubs aren't ignorant to that fact and so now if barnett come along i imagine this is how it probably plays out you know whoever does the actual wheeling and dealing at the club will probably go will go with their list of clubs and go to them and go oh i want your you know your player uh whoever it is will evans for argument's sake and they'll go all oh, right well that's x grand x d grand another club comes along and they go, oh well, that's ten or fifteen, twenty grand less for argument's sake, because there's a there's a tax of the fact that you really want them, so they can drive up the price. And as we all know, this isn't a club where we kind of chuck money around willy nilly, so that makes it tricky. And 
I think you know people are getting on certainly on the forum I was reading there's a thread dedicated to basically panning James Thorne I thought that's really unfair first and foremost we don't really know what the guy I've never met him and I don't know anything about him apart from his name and his job title we don't don't know what he does on a day-to-day basis and in that sense we don't know how many holding midfielders he might have had lined up or not we don't know how many holding midfielders he might have had in the building and then terms haven't been agreed or whatever you know we just have we have no idea what goes on we can guess at best so i'm sure they've been trying since day one and if it hasn't happened yet and who knows it might have um, by the time this comes out it isn't for a lack of trying and yet the kind of hysteria surrounding it it's just it's just chaotic it is chaotic it's just just pointless and ridiculous in my mind so i am optimistic that we will get the business done that we need to do and that we will be satisfied come 11 o'clock tomorrow night fair very well placed points um there's one small point i want to pick up and agree on is that there is a bit of a mentality with football fans they just want the shiny new thing and the shiny Mm. new thing is always a signing uh even if you have someone who can do an adequate job uh, you always seem well I say you fans always seem to think that there's someone who's going to cost a, a decent amount of money that's going to come in from somewhere else and perform better and just be a bit flashier and that, I think that probably is, isn't the case most of the time yet mm. that's what people hope for uh, Will do you have anything you want to say on recruitment or current players or anything like that yeah I guess I, I'd probably like to end on a positive note really rather than what I was saying about John Akindi previously, Al, I was worried about him going. But the real flip side is that if he doesn't go, um, and even if we, well, even if we don't sign anyone else, but say we just make the bare minimum, which we, we would probably say is a bringing in a defensive midfielder, suddenly I think that team with Akindi back and that one addition is a really good side, um, and a side that actually could you know push us up significantly from where we are in the league at the moment. So yeah, really, you know, it doesn't take much to much of an addition I don't think to push us up from being a mid-table side to being a team that could challenge to the top so despite the recent you know couple of bad results at Crewe and Stevenage or whatever I still think there's a lot of optimism for the season ahead there we go that's the, that's the optimistic Will Evans that I know right so I think we're all we're all done then I'm just going to say one quick thing which is obviously this is the second time we're doing this um, the first one we put out I don't know about you two, but on a very serious, very genuine point, I wasn't really expecting anyone to listen to it. It was just because I enjoy talking to you two about Barnet and thought, let's record it and send it out and see what happens. Um, but I want to say to those of us who got in, those people who got in touch with any of us, um, with all your comments, I really appreciated it. It was nice to see, uh, well, you two getting all the praise. <laughs> Me just being... <laughs> but uh, no, thanks to everyone who, who had any feedback. We obviously welcome your feedback. If you have anything to say to any of us, want to uh, tweet us or, or offer your thoughts, please do so. Um, I'm gonna Will anything you want to say no I'm good good Tom you yeah just to echo what you said thank you to those who did listen it's not gonna be particularly regular because Will's the only one who goes to games on a regular basis <laughs> but if there's a demand for it then and I certainly hope there is because we enjoy talking about Barnet then great please tell your friends etc etc even just surreptitiously download it on their phones and hit play whilst they're not looking that, yeah, even I feel, that would be I great. feel bad that I didn't add a little thank you to anyone who's listened now after you guys both did it so I better throw one at the end so, right, the, the, <laughs> the public now know who the scumbag is Will and that's I'm good with that <laughs> yeah so on that note I think we'll uh, we'll call it a day good night gents and uh, to all, everyone listening I've joked a couple of times there's three people listening hopefully there's more and thank you for listening and uh, until next time cheers bye